Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Today is Monday. It's the 12th of June. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Iowa's Republican Governor Kim Reynolds says the federal indictment of former President Donald Trump is a, quote, grave warning sign for the state of equal justice. Trump is facing federal charges for keeping classified national defense documents at his resort in Florida and refusing to return them to the FBI. The U.S. Department of Justice is leading the prosecution. On Friday, Reynolds said President Joe Biden's administration is weaponizing the Justice Department. She says it's a sad day for America, and Reynolds says Biden has been accused of, quote, the same thing the DOJ is prosecuting Trump for. The DOJ is investigating Biden because classified documents were found at his former office and his home. Unlike Trump, Biden returned documents when asked and voluntarily allowed agents to search his property. Juneteenth celebrations around the Des Moines Metro kicked off over the weekend. IPR's Catherine Wheeler tells us many more celebrations are scheduled throughout the next week. Juneteenth celebrates the freeing of enslaved black Americans in the U.S. Iowa Juneteenth observance puts on events throughout the Des Moines Metro to commemorate the holiday. The vast majority of them are free and open to the public. Iowa Juneteenth General Chairperson Dewana Bradley says all community members are welcome at these events. Juneteenth is about elevating the voices of um, African Americans across the state of Iowa. But that doesn't mean that you're not invited to our celebration. So I want to make sure to stress that we want everyone to be a part of celebrating freedom with us. Bradley says the group is donating half of all of the proceeds from their 19 days of giving to the Quad Cities Community Foundation Recovery Fund to support those affected by the building collapse in Davenport. This evening, the group is hosting the Free to Be panel at the State Historical Building in Des Moines, where the audience will hear from older community members. That starts at 5.30. Beginning this week, livestock producers will have to get a prescription from a veterinarian to buy antibiotics that they could previously purchase over the counter. Harvest Public Media's Excret Nunez explains why the Food and Drug Administration issued the guidance. Since 2017, the vast majority of animal antibiotics require a veterinarian prescription, but about 4% could still be obtained over-the-counter. That's changing. As of June 11th, a new FDA rule removes the remaining over-the-counter antibiotics from the market. Barry Whitworth is a veterinarian and works for Oklahoma State University Extension. He says the FDA is trying to combat antimicrobial resistance in people. There is a small association with these antibiotics that are used in animals. We do see resistant bacteria that humans can get. The rule states antibiotics for food-producing animals, like cows, should only be used with a veterinarian's guidance. And scientists predict flash droughts could get more common as climate change accelerates. Flash droughts involve intense dryness developing over just a few weeks. 
One study predicts that by the end of the century, North America could have a 49% annual risk of experiencing a flash drought. That's up from 32% a few years ago. When a flash drought hit the Mississippi River last fall, water levels were so low it was cheaper for grain companies to ship corn to China than it was to get a barge from St. Louis to New Orleans. Butler Miller runs a barge company in St. Louis. Last fall was disastrous. It was it was a disaster. You know, last year was a once in a 30 year event. But if those events become more common, Miller predicts the shipping industry will opt for rail transportation over river barges. This is here first from IPR News. We're in the quiet portion of our fiscal year-end membership drive, and we're looking to hear from you. Donate today to support this service, and you'll be entered twice to win a $1,000 gas card. Your dollars help fuel IPR. Let us return the favor. Give now at IPR.org. A growing legal movement across the globe to grant natural entities like forests and rivers the same legal rights as humans is catching on in the U.S., It includes indigenous-led campaigns to recognize the legal rights of natural entities like wild rice, salmon, and lakes. As Juan Pablo Ramirez-Franco with the Ag and Water Desk reports, that's setting the stage for a nascent movement on the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River flows lazily today. Overhead on the Centennial Bridge connecting Illinois and Iowa and the Quad Cities, cars are cruising past and sometimes honking at a long line of environmentalists that say the river is alive. The river have rights just like every, just like human rights. Our uh, nature have rights, and it's up to us to preserve these rights. That's Glenda Guster from Davenport, Iowa. She was among the 80 or so people to join the Great Plains Action Society's Walk for River Rights, the centerpiece of a three-day summit for black and indigenous organizers from across the Mississippi River Basin. According to Sakawa Snobis, the founder of the Indigenous Rights Organization, the goal is to build a river-wide coalition to rethink the legal framework they believe imperils life on and in the Mississippi River. The earth is really suffering. And rights of nature would basically give personhood to the river. And it would allow us to have more power to keep it safe. The idea is that natural entities like rivers, trees, or wildlife have the same rights as humans and thus have legal standing in a court of law. The implications could be far-reaching. Companies could be taken to court for damaging the river or its ecosystems. That's exactly what happened in Tamaqua, a small town in Pennsylvania. Thomas Lindsay is a senior attorney at the Center for Democratic and Environmental Rights and drafted the document to get rights for the small borough. It may be a radical concept, or it was 20 years ago, but we're rapidly coming to a place where without this kind of new system of environmental law that we're all kind of Ultimately, locals were able to stop sewage sludge from being dumped in Tamaqua using the new ordinance. He adds that before the Rights of Nature movement made its way to the mainstream, it was born from the cosmologies of indigenous people that recognize the natural world as made up of living beings, not just resources and commodities. In 2008, Lindsay consulted the Equatorian government while it drafted its new constitution, the first in the world to ratify the rights of nature. In 2021, an Equatorian municipality appealed to those constitutional protections to overturn mining permits that they said violated the rights of nature of the endangered Los Cedros rainforest, and they won. The work has spread to other countries and in the U.S. to about over three dozen municipalities at this point. Lance Foster is a member of the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska and a speaker at the Mississippi River Summit. He says that a couple years ago, the success of rights of nature in South America got his and other tribes thinking, why not us? And we wondered why hasn't 
the big rivers, the Missouri River and the Mississippi River, have those rights. He says that his tribe and others have created a resolution for the rights of the Missouri River. They hope to use it to fight industrial-scale agriculture and deep mining operations. Two years ago in Minnesota, the White Earth Band of Ojibwe brought a suit against the Enbridge Corporation's Line 3 on behalf of the Manuman, or wild rice, and its right to exist and grow. And just a couple weeks ago, the city of Seattle settled a case with the Sauk-Suyattle Indian tribe over the claim that salmon had the right to spawn, among other rights. Boster says if corporations get legal rights in the U.S., why shouldn't rivers? After all, they were here far before humans. Now, will we take that chance as a society? I'm dubious most days, but we have to keep trying. We have to keep going to the bitter end. States like Idaho, Florida, and Ohio have moved to preemptively ban the possibility that nature or ecosystems can have legal standing. Even so, Foster says the rights of nature isn't as unthinkable as it once was. After all, children, women, black, and indigenous people were once denied rights too. What's stopping the river? In the Quad Cities, I'm Juan Pablo Ramirez Franco. This story was produced by the Mississippi River Basin Ag and Water Desk. That's a reporting network based at the University of Missouri School of Journalism. It's being distributed by Harvest Public Media. And this is here first from IPR News. You can find this podcast wherever you subscribe to them. I'm Clay Masters.